Last week we, we took a break from the series that we had been doing and we, we spoke uh, about uh, the theme of Mother's Day and raising children and all that. So this week we're, we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, our series that we've been in about uh, beginnings, the first few chapters of Genesis. And, and I don't know about you, maybe this is just me and, and if it is, that's fine, but I... I seem to keep finding myself over and over in each of the messages that I happen to be preaching, which is typical because usually I am more convicted and learn more about what I'm talking about than I assume that most of you do. And, and so I, I, I've needed what we've been looking at. And I needed to be reminded a few weeks ago that through the creation story that I realized that I, I matter to God. I'm not some accident. I'm not some process of evolution. I'm not some random occurrence that I really do matter to God. There are moments in my life, as I'm sure there are in yours, where I just need to be reminded of that. Because there are times when I feel like, well, God, where are you? You've sort of forgotten me. You've sort of ignored my situation. I've gone through this or that or whatever. And, and I needed to be reminded that I really do. I matter to God. And, and because of that, uh, that my life is completely different. I have a, a brand new perspective. I, I needed to be challenged a couple of weeks ago to pursue oneness in my marriage. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about that, how uh, God set up marriage and, and the way to have a great marriage is to pursue oneness, to go after that. I needed to be reminded of that. And Nancy could tell you I need to be reminded of that on a daily basis. That's, that's the way it is. And then... Uh, not last week, but the week before, I needed to be reminded and challenged and, and, and focused on the, and to see the root of my sin, that it's, it's rebellion against God. It's not some no big deal sort of experience. It's rebellion against God, and it, and it starts because of my attempt to be like God, to take His place, to do life my way, and, and because of my lack of trust in Him. And so each week, I've just sort of found myself of saying, yeah, that's, that, that's the pattern that, that I've seen in my own life. I've tried to be like God before and do life my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take control of this or that. I'm going to not trust God. I need to pursue oneness in my marriage, and I, I need to be reminded that I matter to God. And I guess, fortunately and unfortunately, we're going to find ourselves again in the Scripture today. And, and in a familiar story that I'm sure many of us have heard before, uh, if you grew up in church, I know you've heard this. If you did not grow up in church, or if it's been a while, you probably at least know the names and the general idea of what took place in this story, because this is one of those deals that whether you're a church person, a God person, a Jesus person or not, this is one of those stories that's sort of universal, and, and have, we've learned lessons from this for a long time. So here's what I want you to do. Close your Bible, okay? We're going to have a little quiz. Now, I, I don't know if you like quizzes or not, especially pop quizzes. I think back to my college days, and I remember one quiz in particular I took in psychology class, and I, I had no idea what any of it meant, and maybe, maybe that's why I messed up. I didn't understand psychology. So anyway, I, I remember taking this quiz and sitting there and thinking, I have no clue. Maybe I studied this, maybe I didn't. So I took the quiz and did the best I could to make up, you know, as much as I could and not leave anything blank. I figured at least the professor might, you know, be gracious to me. And then I realized by the end of it, this, there's no way. So I wrote my name on it, turned it in, just walked out the door. I never came back. I just I went and dropped the class, you know. That was the end of my psychology for that particular semester. And so 
Maybe you don't like quizzes, but we're going to have a little quiz here. With your Bible closed, I want you to think about how much you know about this story in Genesis chapter 4. And some of you are probably going to cheat during this, and that, that goes way back from your school days. You're going to be kind of peeking in there. Well, he can't see me back there. So no grades on this, all right? So don't worry. So here, here, are, some, here are some questions, all right? Just factual type questions about this story. And, and just do the best you, you can. Who, who was the oldest, Cain or Abel? You might know. Who was the oldest? How many of you say Abel was the oldest? Nobody's going to raise their hand at all. Oh, no. <laughs> How many of you say Cain was the oldest? Uh, a few more. How many of you just think this is ridiculous? Why are you doing this? Absolutely. All right, everybody else. Yeah, there we go. I'm with you. Cain was, Cain was the oldest. What was Abel's occupation? Anybody know what, what he did? What was his occupation? Anybody, anybody remember the story? Yeah, it was a shepherd. What, what was Cain's occupation? He was a farmer. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty simple. He was a farmer. Uh, what, um, who, whose offering, we'll see in, this, in the story, whose offering did the Lord accept? Abel's offering. And then what was Cain's response to that? Yeah, he got angry, and then what did he do? Yeah, he killed his brother. Right? So he, he, he took it out on his brother. So uh, what then was, was Cain's punishment? A little bit more difficult question. Toward the end of the story, we don't get to a lot. What was Cain's punishment for killing his brothers? Anybody remember? Yeah, isolated by himself. He was going to be a wanderer, kind of thrown off the land. And so that's how this story ends. Uh, my point here is this. I think we probably know a lot of facts about the story. Even those of us that are scared to death to say anything in front of the crowd probably know a lot about the story. But what I want us to see today is that the point of the story is not to know about the story. The point of the story is to see what, what, what is God trying to say? Why on earth is it included in the Bible? Because if it's just a Bible story, just a bunch of facts, what's the point? I, I, I don't think that anything is in the Bible by accident or just so we'll know some facts about the Bible and feel good walking away from church. I would say you probably would, would agree with that because you think everything God wrote has a purpose. There's something we can learn from every single thing He put in the Bible. It's not just so that when we're young, we can memorize facts so we can pass a pop quiz from our preacher on a Sunday morning years later. It has nothing to do with that. And yet the facts of the story are vitally important because they point us to what God wants us to understand. And so there's got to be a reason that this was included. And so we're, we're going to, to look at it. And if you've got your Bible, you can open it back up now. All right, the quiz is over. These verses will appear on the screen behind me if your version is a little bit different or if you didn't bring a Bible, then you can see those on the screen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, looking at the story of, of Cain and Abel. So let, let's, let's read through, we're going to read verses 1 through 16, and so we'll, we'll sort of fill in the gaps, you'll see maybe some more details about the story, and so here we go. Adam knew his wife Eve intimately, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have, I've had a male child with the Lord's help, verse 2. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flock, but Cain cultivated the land. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain in his offering. Cain was furious, and he was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why are you downcast? If you do right, won't you be accepted? 
But if you do not do right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed with alienation from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the land, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear, since you are banishing me today from the soil, and I must hide myself from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So maybe this story is familiar. Maybe you know the facts, and you say, well, I wonder then, how are you going to find what is the real point and real message of this story? I think when you're studying the Bible, this is something that helps me. I think we have to, to make sure we do this. We have to understand, first of all, who was writing it, why they're writing it, and who they're writing it to. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He wrote them to the Israelites, and so while they were in the desert for 40 years, and this is just a little side note, they got banished to the desert for 40 years, but it gave Moses time to write the, fi- the first five books of the Old Testament. When you're in the desert, pay attention to what God may have for you while you're in there. Just as a side note, we get the first five books of the Old Testament because Moses had time to write it while they wandered around in circles for 40 years. So it's not all bad that they wound up in the desert. Anyway, Moses wrote this while they're walking around in the desert as a sort of a history of the nation of Israel. How did we get here? Genesis 1. What went wrong? Genesis 3. What happened after that? How did God start over? Genesis chapter 6 through 9, the flood. What then took place and so on? How did God's plan for Israel unfold? Genesis 12, we'll look at in a couple of weeks. Abraham and the story that God wrote through him. And so Moses is writing and just helping them understand, here's your history. But it's not just to be read as a history textbook, although this is in story form and we understand that. He had a specific purpose in mind. Understand that the writers in the Bible wrote what they wrote, not just to give us a good history, but to say something about God and about us in every single thing they wrote. So you'll see sometimes where you think, well, why did they put that in there? And why did they seem to skip over this real fast? Well, they had a theological, a God-oriented intent as to why they wrote it. So Moses, when he includes this, has something he wants the Israelites to learn about here's how things went really wrong and how fast they went wrong, and let's get to the root of the problem. Learn something from this so that when you enter the promised land, you don't repeat all the mistakes that your forefathers made. And so we have the good fortune of having this passed on to us through God's Word, through the Bible, and understanding here's what happened, here's a pattern that started long ago, don't let this happen to you. And so understand that the intent that Moses wrote for the Israelites was to help them see, look, here's, here's what happened a long time ago. Here's what it says about God, what it says about us and our nature. So let's do things a little bit differently. And so when I began to read this, this at first I, I thought, well, maybe I should just skip over this story of Cain and Abel because 
what new is there to learn from this story? I mean, is it about sibling rivalry and how to keep your kids from killing each other? You know, I mean, is it, you know, hey, I could, I could handle that. But, you know, what, I mean, what's it about? Is it about, well, control your anger because bad things are going to happen if you don't? Is it, I, and so I, I just started asking some questions. I, I felt like a two-year-old because all of my questions were why. I just, I read it and said, why? You ever have a two-year-old do that to you? We, we've had now, uh, and we're, we're getting ready to have our third two-year-old. Nora will be, will be two before long. And, and I'm sure as soon as she learn, learns the word why, the rest of her vocabulary will stop for about a year. And it will be why, 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 why. And so this, this prompted some great questions. Maybe, maybe you can relate. There's some other great questions in life as well. You know, for example, why do you drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? Uh, you know, I've wondered that. Why, why don't sheep shrink when it rains? You know, your T-shirts and all do. Why are they called apartments when they're all stuck together? Doesn't... If con... Now, this is a good one. If con is the opposite of pro, is Congress the opposite of progress? I'd, maybe. I don't know. If, if firefighters fight fires and crime fighters fight crime, what do freedom fighters fight? They're, and then, finally, why do they call it, a, call it a building? It looks like they're all finished. Why not just call it a built does make any sense. There are questions in life that come up, and maybe you've heard some of those questions, and you just think, I don't really know. That was how I approached the Scripture. Why? Why this and why that? Why did this happen and why did that happen? And so I want you to sort of go on this journey with me, and you'll see on the back of your bulletin, this is sort of how my mind works. So if that really confuses you, don't hang out with me because that's how my mind worked for this Scripture. Maybe you'd be confused talking to me, but... But I I just went from one to another of questions. Why, 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 why? The Bible ought to raise some questions for us if we're going to understand it. And my approach to this wasn't questioning necessarily whether this was true, but why did this happen and what led to this and so on. And so I want to take you on this little journey. We've read it from beginning to end in this story. I want to look, though, this morning at sort of going from the end to the beginning. And I think what we'll see if we ask why at certain points in the story will land on the beginning of a very unfortunate pattern that still continues today in me and probably in many of us. And so I want us to look from the very end. First of all, and you'll see the, the, the fill-in-the-blanks pop up on the, the screen behind me so you can, uh, those of you that are, that are type A and will, will be completely frustrated and out of your mind if we don't fill in all the blanks, here you go. Cain's punishment uh, is, is the very beginning here that I want us to look at. Uh, beginning in verse 9, the scripture records that the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian or am I my brother's keeper? And so we have this interaction with Cain and with God. And then he says, verse 10, God says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed with alienation from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the land, it will never again give you its yield. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, picture this and and understand this. God, like a good father, knew exactly how to get Cain's attention. Cain was a farmer. You tell a farmer you're not going to get anything out of the ground anymore, and you're going to have a really upset farmer. Now, some of us in this room are farmers. Again, I am not, don't claim to be, would not insult a real farmer by even claiming any knowledge of it whatsoever. But I know the last few weeks have been a tough and frustrating time and an upsetting time for many of our farmers. Imagine, if that's you, that for the rest of your life, you can still work that ground, but you're not getting anything out of it. 
it's going to yield absolutely nothing. And if it yields anything, you're going to have to work ten times as hard for ten times as less. Imagine this interaction that God had with Cain. He knew exactly how to get his attention. He says, you know what? Here's going to be your punishment for what you have done. You will no longer get anything out of the ground. In fact, this ground that you love so much, you're now just going to wander around on it. You'll have no home. You'll have no, no place to call your own. For some of you, you've had ground and land that's been in your family for years and years, and there's something precious about that. You don't want it being parceled out to anybody else because that's yours. Imagine if God, in response to something that we had done, said, you're not going to get anything out of it. Not only that, but it's not yours anymore. You're out. And so he knew exactly how to get a hold of Cain's attention. There was a player when I used to coach baseball years ago who, who was sort of a knucklehead. And, and maybe you've been around people like that. I know we don't have anybody here today who's like that or who was ever like that. We, we, I know we've all been just straight down the middle every time. But you can imagine somebody who was a knucklehead. And we had a guy, he was always getting in trouble. Good kid, but he just seemed to always mess stuff up. You know, he just did the wrong thing at the wrong time. He'd show up late when, you, when coach, exactly, you know, he told him, be right on time. And so I remember we tried everything with this guy to get him in line. We tried running it, but he was like a gazelle. He'd run all day long. He'd just laugh at you while you're out there. You know, take off and run. He'd just kind of smile. Okay, you run it for two or three hours. It didn't make any difference. He's still smiling at the end of it. Finally, we figured it out. You take playing time away from that kid, and he straightened up just like that. I'm telling you what, he was broken. We told him one game he wasn't going to play. He was in tears. The kid who's smiling and laughing at you now is broken. I mean, God knew exactly what to do to get Cain's attention, and sometimes in our lives that's probably the case. With my own kids, I'm learning that more and more. As they grow, I'm learning, do this instead of that. For Lucy, it's one thing that will get her attention. For Hank, it's another. And so we'll, we'll begin to, to, to learn more about that. But Cain's punishment, why, why then was, was God so severe in his punishment toward Cain? I mean, there must have been something really bad that he did, and obviously that was the murder of Abel. Uh, that, that then why was his punishment what it was? Well, he murdered his brother. And so this obviously is the first recorded murder in the Bible. And it's amazing to me, if you think about it, as sort of approaching the Bible to, to really understand it, how quickly we went from chapter 3, where, where Adam and Eve sinned, and Moses moves quickly to chapter 4 to say, look, it didn't take long from the time sin entered the world for it to spiral out of control. We get a murder one chapter later. Now, we don't really know how much time passed, but understand that Moses says, look, it was quick. Moses didn't waste any time with 10 or 12 chapters of genealogies between this. He just says, look, chapter 3, sin enters the world. Chapter 4, we've got a murder. It went really quickly. And so, uh, obviously, with sin, we know, and, and maybe you've experienced this, sin will always take you further and further and further and further. It has no uh, remorse about taking you one step further in your life. I mean, maybe you've experienced it. To, to sort of uh, to, 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 uh, to stop with, with one thing, sin is not, not satisfied with that. It's going to kind of leave you one step more every single time. Cain didn't immediately go out and murder his brother just because he had a tough interaction with God. That started, why did he murder his brother? Well, it was because of his anger and his jealousy. His anger and jealousy led him, and he let himself be controlled by those things, and it led him from not only to, to think about it, but to also murder 
his brother, it clouded his view of the truth, and he took out on his brother what he perceived to be a problem that he could control. And so he justified it. Cain wouldn't even listen to God. It's interesting that, that God shows up after Cain has murdered his brother, and he says, where's your brother? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, it's, it's his problem. He's justifying what he's doing. His anger and jealousy got the best of him. Uh, he was hurt. He was angry. He was jealous. He had a chip on his shoulder. Why then was that? Well, it was because of the rejection of his offering. Uh, think about it. He starts with a punishment. Why was he punished? Because he murdered his brother. Why did he murder his brother? Because he was so angry and jealous. Why was he so angry and jealous? Because he was rejected in his offering. What he brought to God wasn't accepted, and his brother's was. Very simple. Uh, he, I'm not exactly sure how God showed his pleasure on Abel's offering and his displeasure with Cain's offering. Maybe he sent fire from heaven and consumed Abel's offering, and and Cain's standing there kind of, okay, God, now's the time, and nothing happens. I don't know how exactly it went down, but it's obvious that Cain knew it. Cain felt it. God has rejected what I've brought to him. And so as a result of that, he became angry, became jealous. He murdered his brother. He faced the punishment. And so why then was he rejected? It's interesting that the words that God provides us here in Genesis chapter 4 highlight the fact that Cain brought some, but Abel brought the best. In God's mind, there was a huge difference between those two. Cain brought some, but Abel brought the best. They're both making gifts to the Lord. They're both sort of trying to go after him in some way. But Cain brought some, Abel brought the best. And and the way I read it, it's very revealing about their hearts, about their love, their devotion for the Lord. I mean, even even just if you look at at verse 3, it said, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portion. He, He offered the best. Now, we don't really know exactly how God told them to go about these offerings and so on, but the interaction that he has with God, when God says, look, if you do what's right, wouldn't you be accepted? Cain had to have known, passed on by God or through his parents, somehow, here's what God wants. Don't bring him some, bring him the best. And so when he only, when he only brought some, obviously he faces God, and God says, look, you didn't do what was right, I had told you. And so God's word shows that Cain knew what was right, but he just brought some anyway. The next question I had to ask was, why then would Cain try to beat the system if he knew what God had said? If he knew God wanted the best, why would he try to beat the system and just bring some? Didn't he know that God wasn't going to be satisfied with that? And I think we get to the root and the beginning of this pattern when we see that, that I think this is it. Cain wanted the blessings of God without doing life God's way. Cain wanted the blessings of God without doing life God's way. His interaction with God after this, he's angry. God says, look, if you had done what's right, wouldn't you be accepted too? Wouldn't you be blessed as well? Wouldn't, wouldn't I have shown favor to your offering if you'd just done what was right? Do what I tell you. And then Cain, in the next verse, goes out and murders his brother and then defends it and his, winds up being punished, all because he started off by bringing some, which is a reflection of his heart. Look, I want God's involvement in my life, but I don't really want to give him my life. I want God to really do something for me, but I'm not going to do life his way. Cain's problem, Cain's issue here, is a, is a pattern today. I don't think we can deny this, that we look at our world, We look 
both at Christians and non-Christians, those who claim belief and following of Jesus Christ and those who say, I don't want anything to do with Him. And I think today we have to look at ourselves in particular and say, is this a pattern that continues in me? Is this a pattern that continues in us where we want God's blessings, His favor, His approval on what we do, but, but are we truly willing to follow the system that He established? And I don't say that in any accusation toward any of you or anything like that. I just know in my own life, boy, this interrupted me this week. And said, how often do I truly give myself to the Lord in a way that I'm wholeheartedly following Him? And then how often do I say, well, I really want God's blessings, but I'm not sure I'm wanting to go all the way with the Lord. Let me give you some examples, I think, of how this works. I think one thing in our, in our faith, just our faith in, in the Lord, we want to consider God close. We want Him to step into our lives when we call on Him in prayer. I mean, that's why we pray. God, do something. Please, step into what's going on here and make something happen. We want eternal security. We want to spend forever in heaven, certainly. But sometimes we see that there are lives, even our lives, sometimes we, that they suggest that we don't really follow the command that the Lord gave to love Him with all that we are all the time. Sold out, 100%, going after him all the time. You look at the disciples. It wasn't a part-time job for them to follow Jesus. It wasn't just on Sundays or just on Wednesdays or just when they thought about him or just when something went wrong. They were after him all the time. And so in our faith, we need to follow him every single moment of every single day. I had the opportunity this past week. Some of you, uh, I, 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 I live in a, in a generation and came up in a generation where computers are sort of the thing and for some of us, we just think, my goodness, you know, things have changed. And for others, we're right there in it, too, and I understand. But there is, there's something on uh, the Internet called uh, social networking, which means basically you're just talking to people on the Internet, sort of back and forth, typing back and forth to them and all that. It's kind of like talking on the phone while you're typing. And you can, on certain websites, have your own page, which you uh, basically will tell people about yourself. Here's what I'm doing. They have, they have things that now you can literally from your phone type in every single little thing that you're doing. It'll post it on the Internet. Somebody asked me the other day, hey, why don't you post a status? I said, nobody cares what I'm doing all day long. And if they do, they've got major problems. I just, you know, they just, nobody cares what I'm doing all day long. They don't want to hear every update of me. But anyway, I was online the other day, and I was looking around at some of these pages, and I noticed one of a young man who I used to coach when I was, when I was coaching baseball. And his particular status update, here's what's going on in my life for that day, was, God, something's got to happen. I'm just waiting on you, big guy. That's what he wrote. Now, I happen to know this young man and know that he's been in church for several years. And I know that his parents are pretty good folks. And I happen to know that he sort of kind of wants, it seems, to follow God. But I know the pattern of his life, and it's anything but godly. It's anything but really going after God. And I thought of him this week, and I thought, there's a young man who wants God's involvement, who is banking his faith on some hope that maybe God is there and will do something without really giving himself fully to the Lord. And I almost want to call him up and say, you know what? I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but don't be surprised if God doesn't do anything. Not because God isn't good, but because you're trying to beat the system. You're trying to have God's blessing and involvement in your life without really giving yourself to Him. It doesn't work that way. And how many people do we know that are like that? 
How many times have we probably been in that spot to say, well, I really want God to do something, but then when I truly evaluate my life, eh, the pattern of my life isn't exactly headed toward God. Now, God can do anything He wants. And God sometimes will give us blessings that certainly we have not done anything whatsoever to merit or earn, and that's God's grace in motion. I thank God for that. But the way God set up His spiritual laws are that there's no way that that young man can really expect that God's going to jump in and just do everything for him when really he's not been following the Lord. So in our faith, we want God's involvement. We want our security, but sometimes our lives don't suggest that we fully follow him. In our families, think about it. We want great marriages. But are we willing to follow and practice godly biblical principles? Because oftentimes husbands don't love their wives like the Scripture commands. Wives don't respect their husbands like the Scripture commands. We don't pursue oneness like we see over and over of God saying, go after each other, pursue oneness. We want our kids to turn out right, but often we refuse to follow God's parenting system that He gave us in the Bible. Last week, if you've got any, any ideas or, or curiosities about what is it that God says about parenting, I'll give you a copy, look on the internet, last week's message, we just highlighted that. Here's what God says about parenting, some general principles. In our finances, boy, it's a tough one these days. You know, we want a little bit more. We want a little stimulus package for ourselves. We'd all like that. Certainly, our economy is not exactly what we'd hope it would be. And so our finances then maybe are a little bit different. But, but we want all of that stuff. But do we really follow God's money principles? Do we really follow Him? Do, do we understand that when it says in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, that the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for my ownership of anything. Do we understand that based upon that principle, I'm a manager, not an owner. And as a result, I am responsible to the owner to manage it his way. And that means that if I am physically able, then I earn it as best I can. That means that after it is earned, if I'm physically able, that I give. No questions asked. Because it's more important for me to release it than for God somehow to need it from me. Because if he wanted the other 90%, he could take it anyway. And so do I follow his principles to give, to, to save, to avoid debt? You realize that God is not saying avoid debt so you don't have any fun. He says that the, the borrower is what? Slave to the lender. God knows you got no freedom when you're in debt over your head. God says, spend wisely. We spend in America $1.22 for every dollar we earn. We're not very smart. God says, there's a different way. Read it, do what he says. There's freedom and contentment in handling money God's way, but unfortunately, we often pretend like we know more than God when it comes to money. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I'm a manager, not an owner, so I'll manage it his way. With our problems, we want them to go away. We're annoyed by our problems. We seldom see them as Job saw them in, in Job chapter 1. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, but whatever happens, blessed be the name of the Lord. He saw God as not just somebody to get stuff from, but as somebody who is good and I can pursue Him and I will be faithful to Him no matter what. We're annoyed by our problems instead of seeing them, as Paul writes, as, as a means of growing us to be mature and complete in God's eyes. Our job. Sometimes we want to raise, 
We want a new position. We want more respect. We want less workload. We, we want to be proven right. If they just listen to me, everything will be okay. Been there? I've been there. Boy, if they just live my boss, boy, I tell you what, if he just listened to me, I'd straighten things out here. Then you be, get to become the boss, and you realize it's a little more difficult than what you thought it was, but that's the way that it is. But, you know, we can easily miss God's perspective in wanting him to bless us in our work. Because in Colossians and then in Philippians, it says that we are working not for men, but for God. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do everything without grumbling or complaining, so that you can be blameless and be a witness and testimony to God's goodness. Young people may want more freedom, less rules, be able to make your own choices, do life your way. But unfortunately, many young people don't buy into and respect the fact that responsibility often precedes greater freedom. That God has set it up so that He works through authority. He always has, and He always will. It's interesting to me to see young people that say, oh, I just, if I could just get free from the authorities in my life. And then they go get a job somewhere and think there's no authority there. And, and then they, they buy a house and think, well, finally, I've got my own stuff. You don't pay the taxes on that thing. Guess who owns it now? You don't own it anymore. There's always some authority in your life. God always works through authority. The sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be. And so I thought of it this way. All these examples, this story of Cain wanting God's blessings without doing life God's way is sort of like somebody who wants to get themselves in good physical shape. And yet they don't ever go to the gym. They don't ever exercise. They don't change any of their eating habits. And then they get mad at the people who are at the gym, who have worked really hard, who have been disciplined, and all of a sudden they've gotten themselves in really good shape, but the person who hasn't done anything is really angry and jealous of the other person, and they start talking behind their back. It doesn't make any sense. The person who's worked hard and done the right things and been disciplined and followed the rules of fitness and nutrition is more likely to get themselves in good physical condition. This stuff is not rocket science. You all know this. Then the person who says, well, I'd really like to get myself in good shape, but, I, you know, that going to the gym and exercising stuff and eating right, eh, I'm going to do it a different way. I'm just going to kind of pray that maybe God will just change my body shape a little bit. Maybe God will change my blood chemistry, and all of a sudden I'll be in the shape that I want to be without having to go through all the stuff. It doesn't work that way. That's a, that's a goofy example to say, you know what, unfortunately, how many times do we approach life that way with God? I, I want the blessings of working out, but I don't want to work out. I, I want the blessings of what it would be like to eat right, but, you know, good grief, that stuff doesn't taste good. I'm not going to eat that. You know, I, I like my other stuff. You know, think about it. We, wouldn't, we, would, we would laugh at someone who says, I want all that without really working hard to get it, without doing things according to that system. And yet in our own lives, wow, we often want God's blessings without doing life God's way. And if you need something to sort of stick in your mind, to take with you this week, I want you to understand this. Maybe write this down on the back of your bulletin. Problems and sin await when you expect God's blessings without doing life God's way. Problems. You're going to be frustrated. Cain was angry. He didn't do what was right. God told him, you didn't do what was right. He got angry. Problems happened. He had issues with God because he didn't do life God's way. And then we see quickly how it spiraled. Those problems, those frustrations, that anger turned into sin as he murdered his brother. And then lied about it. 
problems and sin await when we expect God's blessings without doing life God's way. So what? So do life God's way. It's, it's really often as simple as reading the Bible and doing what it says. I love how God really, in my life, this, sometimes I just need to, to hear this. It's not that hard. Read the Bible. Do what God says. Then leave the blessings up to Him. I, I'm not going to try to manipulate God anymore or say, well, God, I did this, so, hey, you've got to take care of this. I'm going to leave the blessings up to Him. Do life God's way. Leave the blessings up to Him. In the areas that we talked about in your family, with your marriage, do your marriage according to biblical principles and just see what God does. Raise your kids according to what the Bible says, not just what you think might be right or how you feel according to that moment or whatever they want to happen. Good grief. Raise kids according to what God says and just see what happens in your job. Go after your job the way that God would say, as you're working for God, doing things without grumbling, complaining, and just see what God does in your finances. Read the Bible do what it says. God says, give. God says, earn if you can. God says, invest wisely, spend wisely, avoid debt. Do what he says and just see what happens. Young people, learn to operate through and in cooperation with the authorities in your life, and I will guarantee you life will turn out differently. I have a friend, and he and I were on completely different paths in life. And I learned early, thankfully, through my parents, through great influences at church, that God works through authority, and I need to respect that. This other guy didn't. And I don't say that because, oh, look at me. I just say I'm thankful I was taught that way and learned early to follow that path because his life has taken a completely different path. With our faith... We cannot expect and hope one day that the good will somehow outweigh the bad because that's not God's system. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way for salvation. You can try it any other way and you won't get it. You can pursue life any other way and it's not going to add up to salvation at the end. The only way is because of God's grace, what we did not deserve, what we could not pay, Jesus paid. For our sins, somebody had to die, God said. And he sent the perfect sacrifice. And so if you are hoping and counting on, well, maybe God is just good enough to where he wouldn't send anybody to hell, certainly not, he's loving and gracious, you are missing his system. The only way that salvation is received is by placing your trust only in Jesus for salvation. That's it. And so if we're counting on anything else, we're outside of what God has set up. We're expecting God's blessings in eternity without doing life God's way here. And it's impossible and it's foolish. Do life God's way and I guarantee you'll be overwhelmed with how He blesses you. It may be material blessings and it may not be. But either way, you will be content and you'll be fully satisfied in Him. Whether He fixes all your problems or not, You'll be right there in the center of God's will. Your problems may not go away, but God is there. And God can overwhelm and overshadow any problem you face.
You do life God's way. You let Him take care of the blessings. And even if He doesn't come through exactly the way you would have prescribed Him to come through, you'll get Him, and He's enough. You'll understand more of Him, and that'll give you a greater understanding of life. I had a couple of other questions, and I'll close with these. I thought about Abel. And I thought, God... Abel did what was right. Why did he get killed? Abel did what you wanted him to do. Why did his brother murder him? And I just thought, I I don't have all the answers to that. But I understand this, that a theme throughout the Bible is that the people who do the right thing may suffer. The people who do what is right in God's eyes may not be received by the people who are not doing what's right in God's eyes. Jesus himself was killed. And yet at the same time, I realize that those people, no matter what happens, no matter what problems they face as a result of their decision to wholeheartedly follow God, no matter what, they can rest confident in the fact they have pleased God. And if death should call, then they can know without the shadow of any doubt they will be immediately in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I don't know all those answers, but I do know that. I can't fully explain why would God allow Abel to be murdered after he did what was right. All I know is that God was pleased with Abel, and immediately he went to the presence of God. My final question would be, well, is it too late? I mean, look at Cain. I mean, good grief, you don't know my life. I mean, I'm just like Cain. I'm not like Abel here. I'm not some saint. I've done things wrong. I've messed up. I'm much more like Cain than Abel. What about me? Is it too late? It's interesting that God was offering Cain some more chances in his grace, even in the midst of this story. In verse 7, it says this, If you do right, won't you be accepted? He hadn't murdered his brother yet, just presented the wrong offering, just not given God everything. He said, If you do right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, but you must master it. He says, Hold on, you've got another chance. You can make it right. You can do what I want you to do. And we know that the story Cain made the wrong choice, but it's interesting that even in his punishment, verse 13, Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. The Lord replied to him in verse 15, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed the mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Cain, even in the midst of a horrendous sin, found God's grace and his mercy even in the midst of God's discipline and punishment on him, Cain was given the opportunity to have life be a little bit better than it could have been. Maybe you say, it's too late for me. I'm too much like Cain. If you think it's too late for you, I'd love to introduce you today to the God of the universe who even for a murderer gave him a second chance. Even for somebody who didn't deserve it, could never earn it, gave him another chance, said, no, you can do it the right way. It's not too late. It's not too late. This side of the grave, it's not too late. So make it right today. Make the the decision, the commitment to do life God's way. Leave the blessings up to Him in every area we talked about. In your finances, do life God's way. In your work, do life God's way. In your family, in your problems, in everything you encounter, do life God's way. And leave the blessings up to Him. I guarantee you'll find contentment. You'll find satisfaction. 
you'll find God's favor in ways that are far beyond anything material that He could give you. Do life His way. And then trust Him with the blessings. Because the flip side is foolish. We cannot expect God's blessings without doing life God's way. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm tired of doing life my way. And it's been for years and years and years. And if I stood up and came down to talk to you, people would freak out. Freak them out. Because it's between you and it's between God. And if you need to do some business with God today, don't worry about what everybody else around you is going to think. Do business with God. Make the commitment to Him to do life His way. If you've never started that commitment, Jesus is your way to start it. Receive Him as your Savior today. It's the only hope you have. Give your life completely to Him and never look back. Be obedient to Him in every area. Watch Him do His thing, and it's amazing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the principles that You give us, even in a story that's very familiar, that the facts of that story are tremendously important because they point to who You are, and they point to how we should respond accordingly. And so, God, may we today be it for the very first time or starting again, make the commitment to do life your way in every area. Let us hold nothing back. Not our family, not our job, not our finances, not our problems, not our view of authority, nothing, God. May we hold back from you, but do it all your way. Leave the blessings up to you and enjoy your presence and your favor on our lives. And God, should we suffer for it, May we count it a blessing to be worthy of suffering just as Jesus Christ did. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross, our only hope for salvation. For those here who need to do business with you today, God, I pray that if they need to to spend some time alone with you, you give them the courage to stand, to come to the altar, to pray, to come and find out more about salvation and life lived with Jesus Christ, to maybe join this church and to partner with us as we build the kind of church you'd be pleased with. God, whatever it is, may we leave today changed forever because of your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Won't you stand with us? We'll close with a song.